Okay. I'm very happy to be joined today by UFC play-by-play announcer John Gunn. John, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, is it weird for you being on this side of the microphone? Uh, I'm getting used to it now. I don't know why, but people seem to value <laughs> things that I've got to say. So I've, I've been I've been doing a, a few podcasts over the years. So yeah, I guess it is a little bit of a of a juxtaposition. Do you enjoy it though? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, uh, is my favourite subject myself? Probably not, but uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's a subject that I should know a little bit about. So it should be fairly easy in many respects. So before we go deep into your career and MMA as a whole, tell us a little about your hobbies away from the sport and who John Gooden is as a person. Um, not a lot of time for hobbies these <laughs> days, but I mean, I'm a dad now, so I've got a daughter who's coming up on three, so... Uh, our spare time, my wife and I, is very much uh, dedicated to her. But obviously, I think it is important to have your own stuff. And I've I've always been a martial artist, so martial arts is very much a part of my identity and who I am. So I still practice, although through lockdown, it, it's been pretty difficult. I recently bought myself, I don't know if you guys can see, my mate Sven there, yeah. uh, like a grappling dummy. So I've got a little arrangement here so I can still do that um I did some triathlon stuff a couple of years back uh, pretty seriously so but I've not been I've gone back to my martial arts training as my main focus so that's another thing but I'm I'm big into cars always have been uh, fast cars motor racing I'm an Arsenal fan uh what else I'm into you know healthy living uh, trying to be the best version of myself and yeah, friends, family stuff. I think that probably, you know, nothing particularly exciting there apart from your usual. You mentioned you're an Arsenal fan. It's possibly a sore subject at the minute, but what do you make of the season so far? Yeah, it's been up and down. You know, it's 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 a at times I feel like the the side can beat, you know, pretty much anyone in the Premier League. I do have faith in Arteta. I think I think that the problems that we have might stem from like an organizational issue where yeah Arsenal Football Club is just a bit more seems to be more complicated than a lot of other clubs for some reason <laughs> so once they get that figured out I think it'll be a lot easier for him but yeah at times we we play beautiful football we got we got a decent squad uh, I think there are areas that that need to be bolstered it's just, when they come together and they play well it's a joy to watch them so yeah I'll try and uh, you know remain positive with all of that stuff <laughs> Um, you were teasing some big news on Instagram a little while ago. Do you have a hint? Teasing? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things which I'm, I'm happy to talk about. So the UK MMA, well, mixed martial arts has been hit real hard by the pandemic. And it's obviously in the category for probably one of the worst things to be doing if you're, you know, you're spreading a disease. So, you know, all jokes aside, that's meant that gyms have had to shut their doors Elite athletes have been able to continue, thankfully, but everyone else, like myself included, we we're at a loose end. You know, we and a lot of people go to martial arts for not just physical reasons, but mental reasons as well. And it's it's a very positive environment, largely. Um, and people derive their income from that as well. So gym owners and coaches and and people like that, and a lot of fighters, obviously. 
I think there's going to be a big gap in the talent because people are now having to walk away from the sport because they no longer have the financial support that they would have done before. And a year out plus is a long time to be on the shelf for an aspiring athlete. So there, there will be some problems going forward. But what I'm concerned about is that gyms will be closing. So what I'm trying to do at the moment is, well, I have set up a GoFundMe. I just haven't told anyone about it yet, just because I'm trying to get a lot of different pieces together. I've set up a GoFundMe page, which will take like financial donations from anyone that's in a position to be able to do so. But also I'm going to be selling a bunch of stuff whatever that might be, whatever people are willing to give me to sell and the proceeds of that will then feed back into that GoFundMe. And then in June, I'm going to get the public, probably MMA people to vote on the, depending on how much money we get, like the gym or the gyms that deserve this, not deserve, I keep saying that, I mean, would benefit most from this injection of cash. And the whole thing's called keeping the lights on. Um, a, a gym is a place for many different individuals to go to, to learn and develop for many different reasons. Um, again, I'm one of those people, so I see the benefits all the time. If those gyms close, then that means these people aren't, don't have somewhere to go. So it's important to keep the gyms going. So that's basically what this initiative is about. And I've also come out with a, I'm starting my own, like, I've got a t-shirt here, which I'm selling. This was the uh, Joaquin Buckley knockout. A friend of mine designed that. So I'll be selling that. I'm also looking to extend that range. But 20% of uh, the sale of that t-shirt will be going directly into the pot for this as well. So yes, trying to get that little shop going. I thought it was going to be easy. It's not. Then all of my own kind of personal views on um how things should be ethical and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I'm learning a lot, but this week I'm, I'm trying to get it in a position where if I don't talk, like do my own big da da this week, then it will be next week. That's awesome. Great job. Huge credit to you for that, obviously. Um, Thank you. Do you remember a specific moment, maybe as a child where you were first exposed to martial arts and what first attracts, attracted you to it? Um, I remember watching all the films. I remember Bruce Lee. I remember Karate Kid, Bloodsport, um, things of that nature. Maybe not Bloodsport when I was super young. But for me, it's always been participation. Like I can watch something and enjoy it. But for example, I'm an Arsenal ticket, an Arsenal season ticket holder have been for many, many years. But I was playing a pretty, pretty decent level of amateur football when I was holding a season ticket. Even if it was like Arsenal United, if I had a game that Saturday, I would play. I'd rather play than, than go and watch Arsenal, even though I love Arsenal to bits. So I, I ended up in judo when I was about seven years of age. And I, you know, I did that for a little while. So I guess I just really enjoyed whatever it was about martial arts, the, the structure, the, the physicality, um, and whatever it was making me feel back then was driving me to continue and that's what took my attention and then you know all the the other stuff compounds it right so you start seeing these heroes and people that go on and do great things with it or entertain you via incredible feats of like human athleticism and you want to strive towards that so I ended up going from like judo to karate and then a, 
you know, got, got into boxing and so on and so forth. But yeah, excuse me. It's, I think if I participate in something and get my hands on something, then that, that tends to keep me involved. It's probably a good time to go to our first listener question. It's from Peter Harrison from the Fight Game Media Facebook group. Shout out to those guys. Um, was there a particular fight that first introduced you to MMA? I remember, I've been trying to think about this. I have a terrible memory that people might be maybe surprised about that because you'd think guys like me who do commentary, we've got to be able to draw on all of this information at ease, but it doesn't happen like that for me at all. I have to study each individual one. I do remember um, James Zikic, a guy from Watford, uh, and I also remember Lee Remedios. And I remember watching these two guys and they stick out to me. I remember Lee Remedios doing some crazy stuff and I was like, what is that? And it was in a cave, everything else. And James Zikic was <clears throat> representing Watford at the time, which is close to where I'm from. I pretty much grew up in Watford. So, so that felt like it was close and, and attainable for me as, as I say going back to I feel like if I'm, if I'm going to be swept up by something I've got to be able to participate in it so I think those guys um, were in it and I, and I probably associate Brawl in the Hall was maybe something of that but once I once something interests me I then like jump around and try and gather up as much information as I can have conversations with people people give me stuff to watch like my friend Chris Charles was a big UFC fan and Pride fan from back in the day. So I remember him like introducing me very quickly to a bunch of stuff because like what we are now, we're very, we always want people to enjoy what we enjoy and MMA is so fascinating. Chris had that and was, yeah, just like showering me with stuff. So it's hard for me to pinpoint which one came first, but I do remember, I do remember the Lee, Lee Remedios and James Zikic come to mind. Um, and then, uh, then obviously we, we were watching, was it Bravo or I can't remember what channel it was, but then the ultimate fighter and, yeah. and then watching like previous UFCs going back through the history of stuff. Um, tell us or give us a bit of a rundown with your experience before coming to the UFC, including your work as an electrician as well. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, well, that's a long question. Cause is that I've. Yeah. Well, short on it. Give us a brief rundown if you can. So I've done many things like professionally, career-wise, if you like. Uh, I say professionally. I mean, it, um, in terms of <laughs> career. I, I went to uni like a bunch of people do. I didn't get the greatest degree in the world. I didn't really value that. But anyway, I ended up in the city, which is where I wanted to be. Uh, worked there for a while. But whilst I was there, actually, for some reason, decided that I wanted to be a TV presenter. And despite having like doing pretty well in a city, it still wasn't, I wanted to be working with uh, the banks, like investment banks and stuff. And I, I wasn't quite there. I was, was actually working in the recruitment space. So yeah, my head was turned by TV presenting. So I actually dropped out of that and went to work for free for the BBC doing like a, as a runner, essentially did that for, let's say a couple of years, um, had some opportunities come my way and they didn't really come to fruition. And I was getting pushed behind the camera more and more. And it just wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. So, and you earn no money uh, in TV in the early days, that's for sure. So I went back to the city, but that was rubbish. So I ended up joining my dad's uh, family business as an electrician, but I had to go back to college to retrain for a few years in order to do that. Stayed with my dad, um, well, until I left him to go full-time as a broadcaster. But in between that, 
I was, I've always been like a competitive sportsman, like weekend warrior style, you know, like, as I said, playing football, I played a high level, high level squash. I was like, when I was really young, swimming was like another big thing. I've done, I've done loads of different sports and always been, been decent, but not really excelled or been outstanding. So I've always been in, in the mix, but never a standout athlete. Uh, so I bounced around a, a bunch and as I say, combat sports, martial arts has always been a theme. And when MMA sort of came about, I was in my late twenties, I think when I first started it. So I was never going to like make a run. I was far too old already, but that didn't stop me from really wanting to get better and participate. And the sport was even younger than what it is now, obviously it would go over 10 years ago. And I just saw that the people in, that I was training with just weren't recognized as like true top level athletes. And they absolutely are and were, and that didn't sit well with me. So I was always kind of trying to educate people more like or correctly about mixed martial arts. And when I looked at the landscape, no one was really, no one was really um, uh, marketing the sport, like in front of the camera behind a microphone in the UK, the way that I thought, the public would be more where it'd be more palatable shall we say and this is no disrespect to the other people that were doing it at the time largely not everyone but for the most part it just wasn't my style so to cut a long story short like I had my I was on my own journey I was looking to compete and things of that nature some stuff happened like bad injuries five five years out due to a like a, a back injury of wrists what else? Oh, I mean, I have a long list of stuff which still needs to get sorted out. But what that did is it pushed me to, to serve the sport in other ways. So I ended up writing reports and just just being an MMA person, like being invited to go to Bama, but write the write it up for some sort of digital media. And, and yeah, I was loving it. And eventually I got an opportunity to work on my my coach's own show as a as a commentator and and it just went from there. I went from that to then meeting Graham Boylan via his show. Graham Boylan took over Cage Warriors. I did a bunch of work with Cage Warriors for a few years and ended up getting a screen test for the UFC. And the rest is history. So in 2014, when you joined the UFC, you were basically brought in as just the European announcer. Looking back, did you think at that time that it would be as successful as it has been? As what the UFC being successful or my no, own your your journey in the UFC, given that you were just brought in as the European announcer, right? Um, I probably at the time no, and it was causing me some some problems actually because when I first joined, I'm now I've now been brought in and I'm doing let me let's say I don't know if it, I started off with maybe five shows in the year, and you know I was in my thirties when I joined the UFC. So I've now already got like an established life. I have a wife at home. I have a mortgage. Uh, I have financial stuff that needs to be delivered. So it's not like being a teenager or in your early twenties where you can, I'm already in deep, right? So whatever happens, I have to pay those bills, but I also want to live this dream. The only way that I could do that was to work multiple angles. Mm-hmm. So when you get, I was sort of happy, that was all right when I was with Cage Warriors because I realized where we were at 
I realized what I was doing and the money wasn't there and all of those sorts of things. And it was a hobby. But then all of a sudden you have this, this validation that actually you are now actually pretty good. Otherwise the UFC wouldn't have hired you. And you see all of these other broadcasters that you're maybe standing alongside or, or even like in other sports where people are saying that your job's way more difficult than theirs. All right. You might not be, at their level but in terms of where you're at and the trajectory that you're on you're thinking well if I was at, if I was any good I'd be doing this full time but I wasn't and I was having to balance that with a very challenging day job I was running the business with my dad which is a seven day a week kind of deal um yeah running running a business with my dad was, was a challenge to then try and like really throw myself into uh, this broadcast thing with, with the UFC. So I wanted more and needed more to be able for one to take over the other. And I just, for the first couple of years, I just couldn't see it happening. There just wasn't enough. The UFC weren't doing enough shows internationally. So I got that. Um, Dan and I started doing the Inside the Octagon show, which was, um, which was great, you know, and that, that was really helping. But I, I would have done that every day if I could have done. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't really until the UFC offered me the opportunity to start doing, to start producing and start help their, helping them with their shoots in Europe that I was able to then take a bit of a pay cut, if you like, from my full-time salary as an electrician and say, okay, look, I think I just, just for my own mental well-being, I want to believe that I am a broadcaster now because that's, that's just what I want. I just wanted to be a sports broadcaster rather than am I an electrician? Am I a presenter, a commentator? What am I? Like I'm wearing all of these things and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was not helping me going to a very depressing building site five, six days a week and then trying to be a positive broadcaster on the weekend. Um, Yeah. And also I wasn't able to work for any other MMA um, promotions in the meantime, so it wasn't like I was able to still get my reps and still stay sharp doing other stuff. And I've never really understood the social media game as, as you know, even to the day. So, so yeah, it was tough in the beginning and I'm glad we were able to make that move, but there was a lot of guilt. I left my dad's business, you know, which I'd helped him grow a little bit. Uh, and so that's an awkward conversation, but he's been super supportive. I can't thank him enough. Uh, but yeah, now we're in. Now that's kind of all in the all in the past. And I'm st- still to the day. I I probably haven't fully cut that safety net of the the tool bag. But I think I'm probably I'm probably getting there. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. But um, I have ambitions uh, further in in broadcasting that I want to fulfil. I saw an interview you did in 2018 um, where you said you felt a little bit overlooked by the UFC. At that point, um, has that changed this year, given you've done some more shows, you've done the Fight Island shows, you've done more backstage work, you've done work on the desk. Do you feel more validated because of that? Did I say I was overlooked? Oh, dear. <laughs> I, was, I was just last night when I was doing some research, I think it was I can't remember who you were being interviewed with, but it's like you felt at the time that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, do you feel more validated yeah listen maybe that might have been if I did say that it was probably born out of frustration and as I just explained I was 
yeah. I was going to a, to a job during the day that um, I didn't really enjoy. And yet you'll every now and then I'll be participating in this, this like celebration of MMA, which is, you know, what I loved. And, and a lot of people, I was getting positive feedback. I enjoyed like the process. The whole thing was just great. And I was, I felt like I was part of something rather than, you know, rewiring a house, nothing wrong in that. But when you've then tasted being part of this big kind of like elite level thing, you, you just, you just want more. It's, you, I cannot explain to you what it's like. If no one's ever been to an MMA show, like the energy is ridiculous. But how do I replace that? And once you've tasted it, it's like a drug, you want more. So I just wanted more of that. And I felt like I could offer more. So, so yes, it, listen, the, the sport needed to grow for opportunities to be developed. And I needed to earn my stripes. I needed to I needed to prove to the UFC that I that I was in it for the long haul, that I could add value. Very, very important. Whatever we all do, we have to be adding value. So I'm 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 grateful that I've been given the opportunity to do that. I hope that still is the case. And I was then able to do multiple different things for the UFC. And and here we are today. And yeah, I've just signed a new contract actually. So so yeah, things are looking up. And you recently done some radio commentary for Five Live as well. How has it been adapting to that and obviously with the different challenges that brings to a TV commentary? Well, you say you, you mentioned it there, right? Challenge. Now, as much as some people might not recognize this, like I I want the challenges, but I enjoy that. When people have said to me, it's going to be really hard to do MMA on the radio. I don't think it will work. I'll give it a go. I'll try. Yeah. You know, let me let me have a crack at that. I've, I've done everything from grassroots mixed martial arts all the way up to the UFC. So I know how to prepare for a broadcast. It's then just seeing if I have the, um, the, the verbal IQ, I guess, to be able to do that because it is tough. You've got to be very descriptive and yeah, it's a challenge. I'd like to have a conversation with the producer again. I do it infrequently. I think I've done it three times, four times now. So again, it's difficult to build on anything when you're doing one every year or one every couple of years. But I'd like to get some direct feedback from the producer, which I haven't yet about this most recent um, commentary gig for Five Live and just see where I can improve because I know it's not perfect. And I, I'm always looking to get better at what I do. But it was, it was good fun. Because you really got to paint the whole picture to the audience, haven't you? Well, they have no visuals. Yeah. So then you've got to literally, you've got to stop engaging in, in general chit-chat for the most part. That's got to go to the side. And the way that the commentary is set up on the TV is you, you actually hear quite a lot from the coloured analysts. Yeah. Way more than you do in other sports, actually. Mm-hmm. But on the radio, you can't do that. It, it has to be pure play by play. And then when there's a lull or when there's a direct throw, which is measured by the play by play guy, which is hard to measure in a fight because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's when they come in. Otherwise you can't come in or it will be a car crash. You're just going to have to let me paint the picture. And yeah. And, and that's, that's the challenge. You've talked about this before, but tell me about the level of preparation you put into each card you work. 
because it's quite it seems quite intense yeah but I, but I love it so the the prep is the prep is ongoing honestly and that's another thing about transitioning to doing this full time now it's given me the opportunity to be able to do that so like this morning I'm not I'm scrolling through social media if you like and and seeing what went on overnight because obviously the US is the, is the hotspot for all of this and I was sleeping when stuff goes down so I'll take notes maybe actual notes or mental notes of what's going on and um and that then I have to keep a database of that sort of stuff but when a fight card comes up as soon as I know I've got that assignment I will be looking very closely at those individuals that are fighting the division and and just think just always thinking about how I can start representing that story in commentary and that just layers you just build that you just keep it's like an onion you know you just have to keep on with those layers and getting down to the core of what it is you're trying to say so you take a whole big old basket of stuff and then you whittle it down so you know what then essentially sits on a piece of paper uh, on fight nights so yes it's, it's it's good fun but it's pretty tough and the ufc thing is is not just about the fighters and researching those guys watching their fights listening to who they are and what they're trying to represent in that in that fight camp but then you've got the program elements and that's what people probably underestimate in terms of the time because with such a crazy schedule my producers are week to week to week to week one show after another after another after another so it's not like we get a long time to sit there and marinate on a particular fight card and they they're so busy i get that stuff quite late so with within about 10 days of a of a fight two weeks to 10 days i'll start getting the information and then it's a race then i've got to take everything that i've got measure it against everything that the ufc's given me and then i've got to start writing all of my scripts uh, understanding the promo not just for the show that i'm doing but the show that is coming up next and also the next pay-per-view so i you have to be across multiple elements not just the show that you're working on and you've got to have a, a good um a, a good level of knowledge for that because you're specifically trying to identify elements of promotion to yeah to parlay with whatever the ufc are putting together in their video packages Talk to me about the experience you had commentating to fights on Fight Island, because I've spoken to fighters about this, but what's that like from your perspective? And that's also from Jason Hagcombe from the Fight Game Media podcast group. Yeah, it's intense, you know. First of all, like this time last year, I'd just been stood down or was about to be stood down from commentating on UFC London. And then it was the start of the pandemic, right? It's like, right, we don't know where this is going to go. So... I'm sat there thinking, am I going to work this year? Like, how am I going to pay the bills? And the UFC, no, no one had any answers. So when we actually got to Fight Island the first time around, it was a, a great sense of relief that I was going to work um, because that is an important thing for me now. This, As much as it's still my love and my hobby, the other thing is it's how I earn my money. So I now have to look at it as a business, not only as a passion, and that does cause that you know that that crosses they, they blur lines here and there, which sometimes makes things uncomfortable. But 
I now am, I'm on site, Fight Island, and you have to take it for what it is. It was this incredible, we're in a wonderful place, a beautiful hotel. Uh, the UFC have gone to such efforts. It's now like, I, hate, I hated hearing the word at the time, but unprecedented, right? So everything's new and you're seeing it play out and you're a part of the infrastructure. And then, um, yeah, those, you know, it's, this is kind of, again, sort of multifaceted, but the actual experiences on Fight Island, like my prep, were very intense. Uh, the first time, like, John Anik tested positive for COVID, it was a false positive, but then I was having to get ready to do a pay-per-view on, like, two days' notice, which was very stressful, no sleep, anxiety, like, underprepared, so that exhausted me a bit. Then you're away from your family for a month. My wife is struggling alone with our daughter and trying to work as well. So there's there's lots of pressures coming in. But at the same time, you're doing what you love. You're stuck, like isolated in a little bubble with like-minded people, with people that you are inspired by, uh, people that are pushing you professionally and challenging you and helping you raise your game. So... There were, there were a lot of things that came out of that for me that were really positive for self-growth as a broadcaster, as a human being. Um, it sort of, it beat up my relationship with my wife a little bit, but then we obviously had to remedy that. So we then got stronger as a, as a partnership. Rinse and repeat the three times that we've been through Fight Island. Um, but yeah, the, the actual fights themselves were phenomenal. Uh, I was on some really good cards as well I, I managed to get some decent calls in I'd like to think went through some unique experiences like with um like the Herb Dean situation and and other other stuff you know so like good and bad experiencing it all so in short roller coaster um but on the other end of it stronger and better for it um talk to me about commentating fights in an empty building in that environment does that make things more challenging? Because you mentioned the Herb Dean situation there as well. Um, how does that sort of change what you're doing from your perspective? Um, well, it does change it. Like I, I remember when I uh, was commentating on the Robert Whittaker Darren Till fight. Till went back to his corner and said to his coach that his knee was wrecked. And I remember Daniel Cormier in a previous uh, piece of commentary had spoken out about something, and then. He got like a load of fans said that the fighter had heard that or something like that. So I whispered it. I whispered it so that the viewers yeah. could hear it. And also so I could communicate with the guys that I was working with. Um, some people liked that. Some people didn't. But at the same time, I didn't want to. Robert Whittaker's corner was the closest one to yeah. me. So I didn't want to give them information that they weren't perhaps privy to because I don't think that's fair. Yeah. So that's one thing that I was conscious of. But everything else, mate, you like we have to realize that we're there for a television audience. So I've still got to bring that same energy. But then at the same time, my job as a commentator, going back to what we're saying about radio stuff, I've got to try and bring you in. Yeah. Like you want to know what it's like in an empty arena. So now, now actually I've got something else to talk about. I might not have the fan reaction to talk about. I might not let the fans be the soundtrack of the night but I can maybe let the silence play a part. I can talk about the environment in a way that's not been overused and overplayed through 
you know, the eons of time that sports commentary has been in place. So there were some unique bits that I could lean into, which I felt helped me out. But it is weird when you hear your voice echo back around at yeah. high level mixed martial arts, but you've got to get over it. I genuinely, despite ranting and rambling at you as I am now, I don't particularly like the actual sound of my voice. And it's a reminder that so many people are listening and watching, which again is sometimes unsettling because I'm not really in it for those reasons. So there are a few little bits and pieces, but you know, without sounding like a like a dick, uh, you know, I'm a professional now. Get over it and get on with it. You know? um, and a follow up to that from Paul Fontaine from Fight Game Media: um, Would you maybe like to see this happen in future, a few times a year for a different environment? I don't know why you would do that. I sort of understand what people are saying, but we sort of get that with Contender Series and The Ultimate Fighter. So you are you are sort of getting that. Yeah. But I don't know why you would choose to do yeah. it because then you're choosing it because there's some kind of benefit. So if there's, like, what's the benefit? Like, I don't know what the benefit is. I think people I, I have enjoyed sort of hearing the strikes, hearing the corners on the broadcast as well. I think then maybe what what people what the UFC might be doing, and believe you me, they think of everything. Maybe they they find certain microphones or they put more microphones, directional microphones, so that we still hear those um those sound effects a bit better. We hear the corners a bit better because they improve or increase the number of microphones in the corner rather than take out the fan element because you know we're, we're as much i'm super lucky i've been at these fights yeah. and i'm very lucky to have been there and that's i feel sorry for those that haven't been able to who would normally have been there themselves so you know i'd love to share that experience with people not have it not have it dulled down you know because it becomes a spectacle and it adds to the occasion so i think when we move on from this we're trying to sell the the positives right now just because that's all we've got yeah and I, you know and that's our job but really we want fans back there so that we can all enjoy this together we've got a few questions from twitter from ashley the mma nerd um she asks what's the favorite fight that you've called yeah i, I really struggle answering this <laughs> i really do um favorite fight that I've called. I've got so many, you see. Like, I'll go back to like the Conor McGregor Ivan Bushinger fight yeah. at Cage Warriors was a big one, and it's been played out to us recently again, which is maybe why it's sort of fresh in my mind. I felt like we were on something big there with with that Conor hype train. It was like a, it was just a big deal at the time. It felt really big. Like I can't say big enough. So that was one um, event was the Dublin event. That was like outstanding, outstanding. And I can't really pick out any one fight because it, it sort of, it was like a package deal because all the Irish won and it built to Connor's fight. And then the place just went absolutely nuts. It, it's hard for me to separate anything out there. Um, Bisbing Silver, we've seen that be replayed quite a bit. That was a big deal for me on many different levels. Uh, and and that was it. That was a cracking fight as well. Yeah. Um, Frank Camacho uh, uh, against Damian Clark. 
Damien. Oh my God, I have I forgotten his name. He, they had an absolute war. So that that was another that's another great fight that 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 comes to mind. There there are so many, um, but yeah, I've had so many positive experiences. So on a similar sort of note, what goes through your mind when like a moment happens? So think back to the Buckley and Kasangalai knockout. What when you've seen something like that, or maybe in the Anderson Silva Bisping fight when he landed that knee? Um, what's going through your mind when you've got to call something like that? Um, well, I'm the one who can't get too carried away because I'm the one essentially steering the ship along with my producers. And that's very important. The producers don't get enough credit in this because they they tell me where I'm supposed to be going and they correct me if I'm going a little bit one way or the other. But in that moment, we have our initial reaction, which is entirely natural and we can't help that. But then we've got to give it context. And in the so that the Buckley one, I had to, I'd try to find words to give it context. And like I'm saying that that might be the most spectacular knockout we've ever seen. And then I followed it up with that's, um, oh, here we go. That's uh, that's real life ninja stuff. You know, so so there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of things there. Um, but then with the Anderson Silva Bisping fight, was it round three when Silver at the end of yeah, at the end of the round throws that knee? Everyone's celebrating like it's done. And I had to quieten all of that out, focus on the referee. And I think, I think I did a pretty good job of saying, this fight's not over. Like Herb Dean hasn't waved this fight off. Um, and so as much as everyone in the building still like, was confused, and Anderson Silva definitely was, I hope I let the viewers at home know that. No, 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 that hasn't been called. So you have to control yourself and remember that you are the broadcaster in that point. Um, and and keep keep on track, celebrate, but keep on track. And yeah, don't don't completely fall apart. Yeah, I was in the building for that Silver Bisbee fight. And speaking from someone in the crowd, there was definitely a little while when everyone thought it was over. Yeah. Until they're literally pulling Silver down off the cage. And chaos. It was chaos. But I, th you know, I think I identified that and then tried to walk through what was happening, why, and you know, I didn't want to be detrimental to Bisping, but you know, if you you've got to protect yourself at all times. Like you, you just can't take a moment. You can't lapse. It's just, yeah, that was yeah, that was crazy. But he came back and won, so yeah. it's all good in the end. Yeah. Um, another question from Ashley. What's your dream matchup? So I guess we'll do one for current and one for all time. Hmm. Or maybe let's mix some mirrors. Yeah, listen, I, I was talking last night to someone about Amanda Nunes Shevchenko. And but so it's it was International Women's Day the other day. So, you know, we can lean, we can lean into that a little bit. If in a perfect world, their their physicalities, the their, their sort of physical frame is the same, and then we can put them skill for skill and see who who actually wins. Because I do feel like Shevchenko is a smaller athlete, so even if they were to fight again at one thirty five, I just feel like people will take any take some edge off of any Amanda Nunes win because she's just bigger. Yeah, so it would be good if they. I mean, this isn't the case, by the way. So this is fantasy matchmaking, yeah. but it would be good if you could kind of even those bits out and have them fight. Um, otherwise, right now, um, 
I mean, I've always been a big John Jones fan, and dis despite his indiscretions, I would love to see him back. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him fight Engano. I think to, to see a John Jones up against someone who's as ferocious as as Engano really, you know, floats my boat. It really does. So that that that's an interesting one. Um. Otherwise, the UFC do such a good job, generally speaking. They, they really do. Um, I would watch the... I'd like to have seen GSP versus Nemagomedov, but I would like to have seen that with, with a GSP who is younger by five or six years, if I'm honest. Um, otherwise, right now, I'm, yeah, I think the, the, that division's in a bit of a weird old state. Yeah. Um, we, we've got a few divisions that are, that are a bit, like, open, which is good. There's no kind of real big X versus Y in a lot of them. I'm sort of trying to trying to think of yeah who it might be. Even Henry Cejudo coming back once we once we get this Aljo um, Peter Yan situation sorted out. I'd like to see him fight the winner. Uh, yeah, so there's plenty out there. But yeah, I'm sorry I haven't got um, something <laughs> better for you. Um, and is there any commentators? in the UFC or outside we'll go for that you haven't had a chance to commentate with that you would like to think I'd really like to work with that person. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm happy to work with anyone. I really am. And, and that's again, what another challenge that I'm, I'm always up for to try and bring out things from the person that I'm sitting next to or the people that I'm sitting next to that uh, I know they do well, or, or I feel like they haven't really been able to exercise before. Um, so I would like to, of course, I'd like to work with Joe Rogan. That would be an interesting, that'd be an interesting one. Um, Dominic Cruz would be an interesting one. I don't know how, if he'd like to work with me, but again, I, I think he is, he is technical, uh, obviously. He's got a fantastic mind for the sport. So it'd be, I'd like to see how I would be able to challenge that with my style. Bass Rutten, like back in the day, you know, I've listened, I've, I've watched some of the old fights, you know, and, and Bass is he's a legend. So he's one. Um, yeah, but otherwise just just open-minded to to that. I loved working with Brian Stan. I wish I was able to have done more of that. I feel like he was he's like a gold standard, yeah. you know, really excellent. And I and I only got to do it the one time. So yeah, that and Kenny Florian, by the way, I had a great show with I felt like I had a great time with him in Korea for the first. UFC Korean card and that I really enjoyed that so just a shame that I didn't get to work with those guys a bit more and you mentioned Joe Rogan there he's obviously someone who's come in for a bit of criticism lately do you buy into anything like that or what from your perspective makes him so good I mean he's just like there's so many things that people don't see and and understand about a broadcast that makes someone good Honestly, the energy that the guy brings, um, the way that he can assert his opinion, how he can draw on all of his experience, uh, how he can, like even down to post-fight interviews, you know, people do not necessarily understand just how difficult they are and what a natural Joe is. Uh, and we all make little mistakes here and there. Get on the microphone, get on any microphone for an hour and try and say everything spot on, let alone seven hours or whatever it is we end up doing now on a, on a UFC broadcast. So Joe ha Joe's an authority on the sport. He speaks that way. 
Um, I, I actually think for a man who has his level of fame, that he's very humble. You know, I, I truly believe that. I don't think that he thrashes his ego around like a lot of people who has his reach do. So, so yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy those elements. I enjoy his natural enthusiasm for the sports. And I just, it's synonymous with the UFC. Yeah. You know, I, I look to people like Joe to get ideas for how I can be better. So yeah, people are always going to hate. People are always going to like something more than someone else. Uh, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But from someone in the know, who knows what it's like to sit in that row of chairs, he does a fantastic job. I'm a bit conscious of time here, but we're just going to move on to a bit of fight talk, if that's all right with you. Um, yeah. It's the biggest talking point in MMA at the minute, really. Talk to me about what you thought of the um, Piotr Jan, Aljamain Sterling finish. And that's from Ryan Frederick from Fight Game Media as well. Yeah, that was it. just super unfortunate, right? Just really, really unfortunate. Like, what happened there? Why? Because he'd been in that position earlier in the fight yep. and didn't do that. So that's why I, even at the time on the radio, I, I sort of said, I feel like he's been given an instruction from his corner to do that. And it transpires. Some people are saying his cornerman told him to hit him. Someone <laughs> said, no, he said, kick him. And we don't really know. And I don't yeah. speak Russian. So, so I'm not really sure, but it was just, oh my God, it's just awful. Just an awful situation for everyone. And no one wanted it to go down that way. Aljo, Peter Yan's lost his title as a result of it. He was on his way to, to winning and, and retaining his title as well. So it doesn't make sense. And the aftermath is just very unfortunate again. Like it's just, no one's winning here. No one's winning here. So what, what can you do? It's just, I hate it. I hate all of it. I don't know how that happened. But if it was my corner that did that, I think his team needs to like pull that person aside and like that I would have an internal investigation of my own team because the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high to be getting things like that wrong. And um and and now uh, now his reputation is is kind of tarnished as a result. Mm -hmm. And then people are now saying stuff about Al Jermaine as well. The whole thing's just horrible. Yeah, um, so we'll move on to the main event. How did you score that fight? And tell me a bit about Jan Blachowicz, because you've spent some time with him, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I know him pretty well now. I I haven't gone back and rewatched it since commentating on it, and I'm not very good at scoring whilst I'm commentating. But I did feel like Jan was, was just landing more shots. You know, Izzy has this style, which is very effective, where he spends time with loads and loads of feints, trying to get good reads on, on his opponents. And, and I thought that he was getting good reads and getting reactions out of Yan, which he was going to be able to capitalize on. But Yan, I think, is is just a little, is just a bit more of a veteran than people would imagine. And people don't necessarily understand all of the minutiae, the, the nuances that go on at the very, very top. The one and two percent that separates them from the rest. And perhaps just as Izzy was about to pull the trigger on some stuff, Yan was getting off his shots and, and he did enough. And then he, he, he then doubled down on that by, by applying more of a wrestling assault. 
and he did, and he did enough. You know, he, he did enough to get through. It was a seasoned performance. He was up against it. He was the underdog. He would have been listening to a lot of a lot of trash talk in his direction for a long time, and he was able to silence all of that and get the job done. So hats off to him. Not many nicer people in the sport, if I'm honest. We do have a lot of nice, a lot of nice men and women in our sport. Honestly, we do. Uh, but I've been out to to Jan's place. He's he's a, a really lovely bloke, uh, easy to spend time with, quiet, family man. For someone that's so big and overbearing, his personality isn't that way at all. He's not intimidating. He's easy to work with. Like I'm a producer, and he he'll just I'm going to be there at this time whatever you need me to do no problem no problem no problem and he works with you and he's now a champion of the world and and we're lucky that we have many that do that but some just some just find that process a lot more difficult than others but but Jan is is a really nice guy I'm very happy for the success that he's um he's enjoying now just quickly um Leon Edwards obviously fighting this weekend what do you make about Bilal Muhammad as a return opponent for him after such a long layoff and where do you now rank Leon as like in the consensus of top UK fighters of all time oh well he's definitely up there right that's that's that run that he's on right now speaks volumes the welterweight division is a hotly contested division but not only that you know he's delivering he uh, all right he's been quiet for a while not really his fault his skill set is top, top draw. And on any on his night, he can beat anyone in the world. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Leon does. I think he just had to take any fight at this point. Yeah. He's been he's been away for so long. There are there aren't that many options for him. You look down, I, I do this quite a lot and just see who's available at any one any what time. And it might have been Wonderboy, who was probably the next best option for him, but he's he's injured. Like so, you can't look at Wonderboy. Masvidal's now was looking to be matched up with Usman. Covington didn't want to fight him. Burns was just coming off of a like, who's he got left? Yeah, you know, he's already fought for Sente Luque, so not many people made sense. And then they offer you the Balam Muhammad fight. The guy is ranked all right, it's right back down there, but. Like you've got an opportunity to go in main event. So it's five rounds and he's, you know, he's going to be the betting favorite so he can get back on the horse on this, but he's also got a lot to lose, a lot to lose. So it's a big risk. Do I think it's as big a risk as the Hamzat fight? Maybe not because Hamzat wasn't ranked. Hamzat felt indestructible and it's a fight. So you never know what's going to happen. So so yeah, I, I, like he had to take he had to take whatever was presented to him, and I think at this point he just wants to you know to to get the rust off and he's got itchy knuckles. So let's see how he performs on the weekend. Just very quickly before we finish here, we've got a couple of questions left from a listener, Jason Highcomb. Um, who do you see as the next UK contenders to get onto the level that Leon is at now and what do you think about Cage Warriors going over to California to run a show? Yeah good luck to Cage Warriors doing that that's awesome I know they've been rumoured to go stateside for a while now but it just goes to show that 
they're always looking to stretch their their borders and boundaries and that will shine a brighter light on the promotion and therefore the fighters so yeah i hope that's a successful trip for them in terms of fighters on the come up look we've we've got so so many so many great fighters the ones that you obviously already that are already in the rankings but i mean tom aspinall is going to climb very quickly uh, mike grundy he's been super unlucky as well i think that he he's a hard fight for anyone given his style so he could very quickly jump up arnold allen another fighter who we've just seen has been announced to have a fight so he too has an incredible win streak if he can uh, get past uh, yusuf then he's going to be right there in the mix jack shaw unbeaten pros unbeaten prospect from from wales won't be long before he turns contender I'm going to be missing people out here. Perhaps people that haven't been signed yet. Jake Hadley. Yeah. I keep mentioning his name. I think that he, uh, I was, I thought that he might be signed by now, but maybe he has to show them one more time that he's ready for the big show. Um, my teammate, Sam Patterson, uh, he's a guy that's hungry to fight right now. And, you know, he's doing incredible things uh, at Brave. But yeah, I, I just think that he's a special talent that, we need to see more we need to see out there fighting so i'm excited for for those guys to get a taste of what it's like to put on the ufc gloves just quickly you mentioned there arnold allen and sadiq yusuf that's a hell of a fight isn't it oh that's a big old fight yeah. really good and i think if we sort of take a step back from that fight i think that the featherweight division was a bit quiet in 2020 for, for obvious reasons there was some like Zabit, like, where is he? What, yeah. What's going on? Why haven't we seen him? Phenomenal. Yair Rodriguez, I don't really know what the situation is there as well. And I know they were matched and that would have been like mouth-watering. So there are, we got off to a good start with Calvin and Max Holloway. Incredible, like masterful performance yeah. by Max. That set the tone really nicely for that division. Now let's see some wonderful fights as we go through the year. This is one of them. Um, yeah, we're going to see... We're going to see some new contenders appear, particularly out of that fight, because Volkanovski and Holloway has shown that he's right there again. Uh, boy, there's some there's some big fights to be had, and I'm excited for that division. I think it's going to be a really, really good, really, really good year for, for 145. Just very quickly answer on this one. Where do you see MMA in the UK being in 5, 10, 20 years? Um... It's hard to it's hard to predict because as much I'm I'm a very impatient person and I've seen I've seen peaks and and troughs. It's ebbed and flowed a little bit in the in the UK, but I I believe that the elements are in place at the moment for us to kick on. Like BT Sport seem to really value the, the UFC deal and they're they're putting out shoulder programming. Um, really good quality stuff as well. Their social media team is phenomenal. Excellent. Some of, the, yeah. some of the animation stuff that they've done, like so creative. So they're on board and you need that. You need that to be in everyone's sights. And we need guys like you and other, other people to be putting out more and more content to give voice uh, to the sport and those within it. So I, I feel like we're, we're in a position where we have a lot of the stuff there. We just need we just need some athletes to really capture the imagination of, of the public. We, we also need the bloody mainstream and, yeah. and like the, the real big 
sporting authorities to recognize us in all facets of what we're trying to do as a sport because we deserve to be side by side with these other big mainstream sports like when we yeah it's crazy so when that happens and that recognition gets in place then that's going to help again we're getting closer we're getting the mentions so yeah i think that we're gonna we're gonna see slow gradual growth over that time period that you're talking about but it's you know there's no ceiling to this we're in we're we're led by the ufc and a, a very brave organization that are that are smashing down barriers and obstacles all the time and that's what you need so they're leading the way everyone else get on board and uh yeah let, let's keep on going forward and and spread the word of this incredible sport i think that's a good way to end it john i'm super grateful for the time today it's been great to sort of pick your brain a little bit um so where can people keep up with what you're doing and anything you want to plug or promote? John Gooden UK across everything. Uh, that's, that's pretty much where it's at. If, um, yeah, stay across this, this fundraising initiative thing when, when I'm hopefully going to go with this this week, next week. So there'll be something for other people to share, but I don't mind people spreading the word now because I need everyone in the community to get behind it so that we can like help out some people because our sport, our sport will need that. We, as we were just sort of saying, we, we don't have the support of governments and things like that. So we need to look to one another to to, to help to help bolster our position. So, yep, that's johngun.co.uk forward slash UKMMA. But I'll be talking about it on my socials as well. So, yeah, I, I appreciate anyone that's able to, to just spread the word or help out in any which way they can. Yep. Thank you so much for the time today, John, again. No worries. All the best. Thanks.